disclaimer, the contents of this podcast do not constitute medical or professional advice and do not reflect the opinions of the affiliates, promotional sponsors or partners or advertising agencies and only reflects the opinions of the members and guests. This podcast contains explicit content and offends everyone equally. VTSR expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on any or all contents of this podcast. We disclaim any responsibility. Listen at your own risk. Main sponsors, Nostifiance Group, LLC. For all your training, consulting, and special operations solutions needs. For military, law enforcement, and private clients. Uptown Autoglass. For all your glass needs located in Columbus, Georgia. Atax Camo. You won't even see them coming. Sing it with me. Take it away, JP. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Veterans Transition Support Recon Show, VTSR. And later on, we're going to introduce our guest for tonight, which is going to be Tank Rick Ferran from uh, Uncle Sam's Nation, Uncle Sam's Misguided Children. But first, let's, uh, let's do right. First of all, how are you doing, Mike? How are you doing uh, in the hotel room? Well, as you can see, I got the curtains pulled, so, oh wait, never mind. Uh, doing really good, actually. Uh, Salt Lake City doing some work. Uh, you know, obviously doing work with the uh, military still. Uh, nice. But, but on the flip side, back home, apparently, uh, my house pretty much kissed Hurricane Sally. It pulled in right north of Pensacola and right south of my house. So, I mean, it was a little hairy, scary for a little bit there, but luckily no major damage, uh, nothing substantial. So, I think we got away pretty clean. Cool. Just power, power still out. That's about it. All right, brother. And before I forget, because, you know, I always forget shit with TBI. We all got that. Uh, we want to thank our main sponsors, uh, Nose the Fiance Group, LLC, <laughs> for your tactical training and consulting needs. www.nosethefiancegroup.com uh, or actually nosethefiancegrp.com. And uh, Uptown Auto Glass, located in Columbus, Georgia, for all your auto glass needs. Contact Javi and tell him you heard about them on VTSR. Use code VTSR15 to receive a 15% discount. It's www.uptownoutoglassga, as Georgia, .com or 706-681-6309. And actually, Javi fixed my windshield so I can t and my side mirror as well, so I can tell you they do amazing work. And, of course, A-Tax Camo. True Advanced Tactical Concealment System. They provide the best camo patterns in the market. So visit ATAX.com for more information. We want to remind everyone that sponsorship and advertising opportunities are available. Contact Carla or Nate at VTSR at ProtonMail.com. All right. You can listen to us on Spotify, podcast, uh, Apple Podcasts, and now for the first time, boys and girls, We're finally on YouTube! Oh, buddy! We are real. You. 
So now you can see our ugly faces while you're listening to the podcast. It's fucking awesome. I love it. Oh, look at Nate. Oh, oh, oh hold on, hold on. I, I got to get ready to start this podcast, right? Hold on. This isn't even mine. I'm actually hiding in Mike's closet in his hotel room. This is his beard brush. <laughs> that we're Anyways, away. Where are you at? <laughs> it's very soft. So anyways, guys, yeah, uh, uh, this past weekend, uh, our guest that, that is uh, uh, going to come in the next few minutes, uh, well, actually, he's here. He's just not talking right now, but in the next few minutes, I was hanging out with him at the Tactical Games. Uh, we had a great time. We, uh, we hung out with a lot of the friends that we already know, and, and I mean, all of us uh, know uh, from Tactical Games. And let me tell you, it's great to see friends again, man. It's like some people travel from one side, from one state to another one or, you know, from Canada. Oh, no, my bad. Nobody can come from Canada right now. Uh, <laughs> from other places, just to, just to hang out with friends, man. Uh, so it, it was a pretty good time. Um, oh, man, I really miss hanging out with all those crazy people, man. It's just, it's just so much fun, man. Uh, Nate, uh, we did miss you at the Tactical Games and we met. No, we didn't. <laughs> I actually know that there's some people that missed me because um, some bets had been made. Some people wanted some film to be filmed and uh, okay. So they wanted film of the action on the actual events, not anywhere else, you know? So I know I was missed because people were asking for advice. They're asking for coaching. They're like, how are you going to approach this one? I'm like, brah, I'm not even there right now. And they're like, I swear I can, I can see you. And I'm like, if you can see me, I can smell you and I can't smell you. But I'm thinking about you. <clears throat> so anyways, no, I, I, I missed being there and being stuck in Canada sucks. But I did go to the gym and take a friend of mine and who was like, he was supposed to come down with me. It was supposed to be his first games. So I ran him through some stuff at our local gym. And uh, there's footage of that. He did not die this time, but he had fun and he's pumped for when we can get down there. And all I could think was the first time that you and I had met Rick and that was in Atlanta, I believe. And um, it was at the top of the long run and everything. And I think that's where we met him. No, no, his, uh, 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 his first tactical games was actually uh, North Carolina. Was, was that the one? Last year, yeah, last year. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean, last because it wasn't this year that I met him because no, I hadn't no, left that's home. That's what I'm saying. It's like yeah. the, the, the first, uh, yeah, last year. Yeah, yeah. We met him because he has a friend with him and stuff. So anyways, when we met him, I remember that meeting because it was very good, but I'll save that for another time. And um, I'm just going to keep talking because I missed all the excitement. And I saw lots of pictures of people saying, hey, wish you were here. And I was like, I wish I was there too. Yeah, but, but you, were, you were over there in Canada doing like, I don't know, fighting moose or something. Right? Uh, no, I was, I, was turn, I, was, I was turning in my ARs and I was, you know, not buying <laughs> ammo and stuff. So anyways, um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm glad you guys had a good time. Am I jealous? Absolutely. Because every time I've gone to the tactical games in that community, those people, those like-minded stuff, it's just a lot of fun and it's spiritual. So I'm looking forward to getting back to shooting competitions and uh, getting down to the South the land of freedom. I miss it. By the way, I like that shirt that you're wearing. Yes. And that's another thing that I'm upset about is I am supposed to be in Myrtle Beach with you this weekend for a project that we have both worked and supported for the last year with Battle Buddy 3-Gun. 
and I am going to get a little sad about this because it has been such a journey helping our friend Jeff at Lima Charlie clothing company that Mike knows as well. And, and is part of, and we support Jeff with everything he wants to do. Um, and this battle buddy three gun. Is very, walking. Yeah, yeah. He, he can't walk away from me no matter what he says. <laughs> That's true. So uh, with Lima Charlie, the clothing company that actually provides the three of our signature shirts. Um, he's got his competition this weekend kicking off, <laughs> kicking off for, uh, for his stuff. And it's this weekend, Myrtle beach. It starts tomorrow morning and it's Saturday as well. And I'm very sad. I won't be there, but I am rocking the special operation shirts. I'll stand up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a special ops okay? <laughs> and it's the guy in the wheelchair because it's not making fun of it. It's showing that those guys can still stay in the fight and get out there yeah. and compete and have some fun. And those that are listening that don't quite understand it, go look at battle buddy three guns. Yeah. And what happens is, is that at least one stage, everybody able-bodied or not goes through that one stage in a wheelchair. Yeah. So um, check him out. Battle buddy three gun is on, it's on Instagram, uh, Instagram as well. And, uh, Real quick, you're gonna have, uh, you know, paralyzed, not necessarily vets. It can be anyone. Yeah, anybody. Uh, you know, and they're gonna be in the wheelchair, and of course, they're gonna be an able body, which will be their 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 partner. Yes. So you're gonna have somebody that that can actually, you know, walk and run and all that, and then the guy in the wheelchair, and they'll be going through stages together. And then there's gonna be a few stages where, yeah, even the able body gotta be on a wheelchair. Yeah. And uh. And do it the same way. So it's pretty cool. It's, it's a new concept. It's, it's trying to get people out of their homes and, and understanding that, hey, you're in a wheelchair. You can still go out and have fun, right? Yeah, get uh, off the couch, get out there, stay dirty, yeah. do fun stuff. And, and the original intent was that JP and I were going to go validate all the stages and push each other around and do all that fun stuff and, and prove that point. And that's what Battle Buddy 3-Gun is about, is getting off the couch, staying active, staying dirty, and being around like-minded yeah. people. And it, it and, and just so people know, JP, that it is actually a nonprofit charity organization. That's right. And that's the other thing about it is that it's there to raise funds to get people out there. Yeah. So go and check them out. Uh, I'll be there actually tomorrow on Saturday. Unfortunately, by the time that the post podcast come out, uh, it'll probably be already past that time. Yeah. But uh, but when you listen to this, please go out, check out Battle Body Three Gun. Check out all the pictures that they're gonna post uh, from the event. And um, support buddy Jeff and, and a great just it's just a great thing that he's doing and uh, and I think it's going to help a lot of people. And buy a shirt if if you can share reshare the post and buy a shirt you're already kicking ass in our in our in the right way. Anyways, before uh, we get started uh, and introduce our guests here, uh, I got to talk about this amazing, amazing. Oh, JP, I heard you got something interesting this protection. weekend. Now. Grizzly ears. Let me tell you, and I know that uh, our guest knows this very well. Uh, I know that Mike, Mike, you own a, set, a pair of this, right? So tell me about it, JP. Forget I them. Know. Tell me about it. So Grizzly ears. Let me tell you, advanced hearing technology. This little puppies right here are amazing, bro. You take these puppies right here. They come with their own little charger, right? What's, what, what does it come with? Charger. And they go they fit great in your ear and when you turn when you turn them on they actually uh, uh got noise cancellation and all that good stuff so when you go to the range and start wearing that big freaking pelters oh or your, little, or your little foamies which is they don't allow you to actually listen to people talking yeah uh, 
but then these ones as well, you can connect Bluetooth and listen to music while you're shooting at the range if you want. And, and look at that. Like you have big ears and that thing just disappears right in there. Oh, because I took it out. Dummy. Oh, okay. But when you're when you when you're shooting, but, but there we go. There we go. There we go. The I mean, look how small they are. Oh, dude, you can still get a proper uh, cheek rest on the. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. So if you guys don't own a pair of this, you need to get yourself some grizzly ears. Let me tell you, this is good. Great company. Uh, I also heard something today on Instagram when I was going through because I've been talking to Grizzly for a while, but we have a hard time in Canada getting stuff, and. Uh, I noticed that there was a company that has made them the official ears for all their operators today. Nice. Yeah, that was, it was really neat. So you should really nice. check that out. Um, this, yeah. this organization does yeah. some direct action stuff and all their guys now are supposed to be rocking um, yep. grizzly ears. So I'm actually going to apply for a position at that company just so <laughs> I can get the grizzly ears. <laughs> Uh, let me talk about one of my experiences with grizzly ears. Is uh, I've had mine for uh, for a while now, uh, but recently the case stopped. You know, I guess closing properly, so it wasn't really charging or disconnecting from the phone. And all I did was send an email out. Within a week, I had a replacement case, man. So I mean, great company to interact with. If you have any issues whatsoever? Wow, that's awesome yeah, that they support it like that. Because the biggest problem in in and all of our stuff going on in the world is the, the resupply and stuff. And when your gear breaks and you need that kit replaced, if that company's not willing to stand behind their product, you know, that's very disheartening. But to hear that Grizzly Ears is within a week sorting you out, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty all right, man. I was, I was impressed. Yeah. Nice. So yeah, Grizzly Ears guys, available at uh, grizzlyears.com, is it? That, that's, I believe so. Yes. <laughs> We'll confirm that. Uh, and grizzly ear, grizzly. Sorry, guys, I got to jump in. If you guys let me talk, but grizzly da, uh, dash, whatever it's called, uh, little thing, the little, the little line. Yeah, the little line. Yeah, dash. In the ears.com. Ears.com. I appreciate yeah. it. Uh, so, anyways, guys, uh, we all know uh, that BTSR is about helping people, sharing our stories, uh, uh, and making sure that you know people don't cash out. And um, we all, we all struggle been struggling for a while right we've been struggling our entire lives but we struggle with our own our own issues right uh and our our guest tonight man he he got an amazing story our guest tonight is a uh, a communist survivor uh he joined the marine corps uh he got his own podcast uh he battled you know uh anxiety depression and all that good stuff and uh but he's still out there kicking ass, helping people. He's an athlete at the tactical games as well. Uh, he's an advocate for, you know, uh, suicide prevention. And uh, let me tell you, this, this, this guy is amazing. And I, I need everyone out there to hear his story because, uh, by the way, it's Rick Ferran. And Rick Ferran is also, you know, he's the one that runs Uncle Sam's Misguided Children. So if you are not following him on Instagram, actually, that page was taken down. Damn it. So it's Uncle Sam's Misguided Children, though, uh, uh, apparel. And then uh, Uncle Sam's Nation is his, uh, his Instagram handle, and we're going to put it in the description here. But uh, without any further ado, uh, Tank, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. Uh, it's an honor, once again, uh, to be in your show. Uh, it's just I'm, I'm humble, you know, to be part of the, you know, part of you guys' team and and just, you know, uh, appreciate the opportunity, man. You know, you, what you guys are doing and, and just trying to get the message out there is um, unbelievable, phenomenal. 
So uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I feel humble. I feel like a, the little guy hanging out with giants because you guys are giants to me. Uh, you guys are heroes to me, and uh, and I just appreciate your service, bro. When you say giant, you didn't look at Mike for some reason. Well, Mike is a giant. Mike, Mike is a giant. <laughs> no. Mike, I, I see Mike at the tactical games. He's a bad mofo, you know. No, uh, I appreciate it. He, he looks He's like Santa Claus. He looks like Santa Claus without a belly, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> you know what I mean? But but he 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 will smoke you, you know. Oh no, he's it's, it's a tactical clause to you. <laughs> hey, hey, that could be a t-shirt. That could be a t-shirt, man. Tactical clause. Tactical clause. There you go. Hey, nobody used that. That's, that's I'm, it. I'm, I, it. Hey, I'm gonna hook it up, bro. I'm gonna send hey. you a t-shirt, bro. Hook it up, tactical I, I, clause. Some's in the works. Some's in the works right now, a little bit towards that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so hey, hey tank. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, we, we I mean, I already said it, you come from, uh, uh, you're a communist survivor and all that, but tell us a little bit about yourself, about your story, where you grew up and, uh, and you know, uh, take us all the way until when, when you joined the military. All right, thank you so much, guys. Well, uh, I was born in Cuba uh, in 1975. And um, as you know, Cuba is a communist country. Um, Uh, my history of my family is that my grandfather, my, my, the, my parents, my grandparents and great grandparents, you know, the, fa the family tradition, they owned a lot of farms uh, right before Castro took over. They owned uh, uh, pharmacies, et cetera. They were very wealthy, very wealthy indeed. Um, and, uh, you know, as a matter of fact, my grandfather uh, knew Castro. They went to school with each other. They, they knew, you know, they knew their family. Um, And so when Castro, when Castro took over, he took over all the uh, businesses and properties and whatnot. My grandfather was an American citizen because he had to, he had to travel back and forth between the United States and, and Cuba uh, for businesses reasons. And so he, he, he was able to, to escape, uh, you know, Castro gave people ultimatum says, you, you know, you guys can stay or you guys can leave. That was the first, the first, uh, people that left uh, was my grandfather and my uncle. He was only able to leave with my, um, with my uncle at the time, hoping that he was able to bring back the rest of the family. Um, but that never happened. My, my grandmother stayed back with my, with my father and my father was old enough to, to be drafted. So he, he had to stay back. So they ended up making a, a life in Cuba while my grandfather made a life here in the United States with my uncle separated from, from our fam, from the family. Um, when my, when my father, uh, you know, living through communism, you know, it's, it's tough, you know, imagining the situation down there, uh, lack of food, uh, lack of medicine, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, uh, my father was, uh, graduating, uh, university medical school. Um, and at his last, last weeks, you know, medical school, the, they had a, some type of, uh, Uh, essay that they had to write, which is, it was a letter to somebody outside the country. Uh, just, just a letter to somebody outside the country. My, um, my father, very naive, you know, very naive at the time, thought he could write a letter to his sister in New York and tell her that, uh, you know, that, um, what you'll call it that, uh, and this is, this is, we, you know, complicated situation but there was a, a stepsister like half sister but um wrote a letter to her and telling him telling her how how the situation was in cuba at the time was very detailed about it and the letter was given to the principal and um 
he called on to the uh, militants or a group of individuals in the Communist Party that go around giving giving people repudios and uh, reputations, whatever they want to call it. But exactly what you are watching today, you know, if you if you guys are looking at the news today, what Antifa Black Lives Matter is doing to people, um, how they go to their homes and how they uh, stand outside their homes in the middle of the night, um, you know, for the most part, they're not being violent just yet. But, uh, but they're getting to that point where they're actually being violent to those individuals. I, I think there was a house where they actually burn it down. And uh, I'm not sure of the details about it. But that is communism 101. That's exactly what the Communist Party did to us. That's exactly what the Communist Party did to my father. So when they, when they, when they found out uh, that he wrote the letter, um, they, they almost lynched him. They, they grabbed the rope, put, you know, they beat him up. Uh, hang them on top of a tree in uh, in in a, in a high school. I mean, a university, and then um, and then uh, ripped them off his clothes, put him in the back of a truck, drove him around Santiago, Cuba, with a sign on his neck, calling him warm. People were throwing stuff at him. Uh, it was it was the most horrific situation you can imagine. Uh, as a child, I still hear the stories, and I still remember very very clearly how how it was played out. Um, and uh, every weekend, my grandmother would go to see him. So that weekend, she would, she would bring him food, you know, different things she would cook, you know, cookies, et cetera. You'll go see him. That was his graduation weekend. And uh, she found him um, naked in front of the, in front of the bus, bus station inside one of the bleachers, in, on top of one of the bleachers. And he had newspapers on top of him. She, she didn't know. She thought it was a homeless man or somebody else, but she eventually, you know, mothers know kid, their son. They, they, they can tell who their son is without even having to know. And she knew it was him. So she brought him home and it took him a while to get, you know, uh, used to it. He met my mom, they got married. Um, they had me, my father found another job as an accountant and, uh, you know, uh, went to work for an accounting firm. Uh, he kept it all quiet. He kept it all, you know, into himself, not telling people who, you know, who he was. So he kind of moved to Las Tunas, a new province, and started a new life. But somewhere down the line, he just said, you know, I had enough. I'm going to go ahead and call my, my father, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to apply for a visa. I'm going to tell him that I want, I want him to help me get out of here. So he called my grandfather. My grandfather said, no problem. I'm going to get you out of there. Um, and this is how it goes in Cuba, man. If you're going to make a phone call internationally, all the phone calls are tapped. So he had to make that phone call internationally to the United States. And when uh, he made that phone phone call uh the communist party heard him the minute they heard him they put him on the list and that militant group was back at it again so they found where he worked and um i remember i was like five five six years old and i i remember this like did like if it was happened yesterday man i i will never forget this ever in my life and um my my father was uh you know was working like i said cpa accountant and uh they came to his job. The manager uh, was talking to the people. He told, he came back to the office. He, he told my father, you need to leave right now. You need to grab your stuff. You can get the hell out of here from the back door because they're out here and they're going to kill you. They got machetes. They're going to kill you. So my father grabbed his stuff and he left. Um, my, my grandmother met somebody new. She met, she, uh, which is actually what I actually call him my real grandfather because he, I grew up with him, but uh, she met somebody new. She made a new life. And the, the man that she was with, uh, was actually somebody that the province looked to him as a hero. He actually was the only one allowed to have a revolver. Uh, so, you know, he fought with Castro, 
during the, you know, whatever. And everybody looked up to him, but he also had had enough. He just couldn't talk about it. He, he just, he didn't like, you know, he didn't like what things had happened. He thought it was things would have, would have changed differently. But anyways, he had a lot of power in regards to what he had done. Nobody, he was untouchable, you know, because, because of his uh, experience with, with Castro. So anyways, um, he got the call that he actually got the call that they were, they were after him, they were looking for him. And the whole town was, you know, was literally uh, on fire. Just looking, look, you know, what was going on. It was chaotic. Um, I heard a lot of yelling and screaming outside the house. I was staying at my grandmother at the time. And I walked outside and I see a lot of people in the streets and people yelling and screaming. I couldn't understand what was going on. But uh, over the hill, I see a man running uh, with a suitcase and falling down the ground, suitcase papers coming, coming off of the suitcase. And um, there was a truck right behind him. Uh, people yelling at him, throwing rocks, throwing stuff. And as he got closer, I realized it was my father. Um, so I just froze, man. I, I, I don't know, I didn't know what to do, you know. Uh, my grandfather came out and with his revolver, and uh, they were literally about to ki kill my father right there. And my, um, my, uh, my grandfather was like, uh, anybody touches him, we're going to kill him. And they said, you know, Jose, that's not your son. What do you even care? He's like, I don't care. You touch him, I'm going to kill you. So, um, so he saved, he saved my father's life at that time. Um, then following day, um, I was five years old. My mom was pregnant with my little sister. The following day, they went after my mother. My mom actually worked for the government office, kind of like the, you know, the, the towns, uh, you know, where you, you clerk, clerk's office, you know? So they went out, they, they actually sent a team. Uh, my you know, at that time, my grandfather did get the call. My step-grandfather did get the call beforehand, and he went to pick her up. As he was picking her up, and she was like six, seven months pregnant, the truck was rolling, was, was coming in and parking right behind them, and they just took off. Um, so, you know, so everything got quiet real, you know, for a while because we, they were staying with my grandfather. My grandfather was there. Nobody was going to touch him. And then we, we, we left the apartment. Uh, uh, we found our, our apartment condominium kind of complex, and we moved in. And we started doing the paperwork to leave the country. So, uh, you know, during that time, man, uh, it was constant repudios. It was constant, you know, a uh, group of people coming to our houses, throwing eggs at the door, yelling, screaming. Uh, I was getting jumped every day from school. Uh, you know, my little sister then started to go to school. I ended up having to fight every day to protect her. So it was, you know, it was always like that. It was always nonstop. Uh, you know, my father had to take a job in construction, had to leave, you know, for a period of time. And uh, my mother had to figure out what to do and how to feed us. So it was like bargaining, you know, the government will give you so much of soap or different things. And my mom will bargain those some things for food. You know, somebody would need a toothpaste and she had an extra toothpaste. She would bargain that or she knew somebody who had a toothpaste, but she had a soap bar and somebody else had some eggs, you know, and she will kind of make the trade between the three people. And that's how she was able to provide for us and, and have at least one hot meal a day. Um, and times we didn't have a hot meal a day. At times it was just, you know, water and sugar. That was it. That was for dinner, man. I mean, I could hear my, my, my insights, you know, like how you hear, you know, when you're hungry, you hear you. When I was a little kid, I remember that very, very clearly. Um, yeah. You know, one time my mom, you know, I'll give you an example. One time my mom was very frustrated, you know, and I could get only uh, understand what a mom is going through, you know, uh, you know, worrying about feeding her kids. And, uh, and the refrigerator was completely empty, completely empty. But I was so hungry. I just kept opening the refrigerator, opening the refrigerator, opening the refrigerator. And my mom just 
just snapped, man. She just threw a broom over my head. She said, stop opening the refrigerator. And, uh, you know, I remember she cracked my the back of my head and my mom started crying. She started freaking out. She's like, oh, my God, oh, my God. You know, she took me to the hospital, uh, losing her mind. Uh, so, you know, I give her a lot of love, man, because, you know, like without her, you know, I don't know what I would do. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, she, she's tough, tough, tough cookie, tough woman. Um, so things like that happen. And, uh, you know, eventually, man, uh, you know, we got the opportunity to, to, to come. We actually got the visa and, uh, to, to come to America. Um, we had to go through the proper channels. I didn't come here in a banana boat. I didn't come here illegally. I didn't, even though, even though my father ended up in jail a couple times and he was in fact looked as a political prisoner refugee, uh, we actually went through the legal channels of legal immigration. So, you know, so as long as their parents, as long as you have a somebody from your immediate family here in America who is a citizen, he can apply for visas for you in, in, in Cuba, and then and you can go through the proper channels of legal immigrations on both parties, Cuba and the United States. Um, during that time, 1988, my grandfather had, had, to, had to put down $10,000 per person all right, and in, in Cuba, that's a lot of money for 1988. That is a lot, a lot of, of money, money now, now, but just imagine 1988. 40 grand, you know, 40 grand back in 1988. That was a lot of money. Um, you know, and it's gone. Like, there's your money, you know, gone. I mean, it's just giving it to the government, it's, it's gone, man. You know, forget about it. You're not getting anything like that. You can't even put it on your taxes. Um, you know, and, uh, and my family in Cuba had to put 6,000 pesos per, per head. So my grandmother ended up buying, selling her house and using the money to, to put each, each of us to be able to come here. We came with nothing. We came with just the clothes on our back and, and, and that's it. Nothing else, man. Um, and, um, you know, we came to America, we, we came to America immediately when we came to America, just so you guys know some things about immigration and uh, the Cuban, Cuban, uh, situation at the time. Um, we actually had a lot of opportunities, a lot of benefits, and, and there's a lot of benefits to immigrants come here through that through those channels. The United States of America does amazing things for immigrants to go through those channels. So they um, they actually gave my dad, my father, uh, immediately a agreement that they were going to uh, put us in a uh, middle class home, you know, in the middle neighborhood, all pay, all pay for two years, and um, you know, medical benefits, the whole nine yards is back in 1988, uh, a uh, lump sum of money per month. I don't know what allotment, allot, an allotment. And they, they were going to uh, provide us uh, opportunities, you know, jobs or whatever. Right. Um, so, I mean, we're, they were, we were going to be taken care of, man. We, we didn't, you know, if, if my father didn't want, didn't want to work for that one year or two years, um, he didn't have to. But my father decided to waive that. And the guys, the guys are like, tell him, are you sure you want to wear this? Like, my father's like, I didn't come here for handouts. I came here to work. You know, I came here. I already got what I wanted. I came here for freedom. You know, and, and th that those type of Cubans, they don't make them anymore, bro. Like, you know, like even the Cubans that come today, uh, you know, they're a lot of hard workers and stuff. They all get the same package, even more now today than they used to. Um, Bro, people, uh, that, not just Cubans, people bro, that were like, born here don't want to work. Put yeah, it out. People like <laughs> people just this generation just don't want to work. Right, right, know? right. But you know, but the, but the United States have a really nice package, benefit package for individuals that come here. You know, even individuals, that, you know, as you know, even illegals that they have, you know, they have trying to give benefits like that. 
but they do have it for illegal immigrants. And that's why you see a lot of people come from India and different countries and, it, and, and ra rapidly they have businesses, own businesses, you know, for some reason. You're, you're wondering, how has this happened? Well, you know, that's, that's, that's probably it. Why? Also, if my father, at a two-year mark, he would have said, you know what, I want to extend those benefits. You know, they would extend it for another two years, maybe four years. Uh, but in case, my, my father waived all those benefits. He said, I'm going to start work. He started working immediately. The following day, he had already a management position at a restaurant because he's an accountant. So he walked in a restaurant. Uh, you know, they, they knew the family, whatever. And, and the, the guys told him, look, man, we're making all these. He's like, you should be doing very well with the money, whatever. And my father, in about an hour, he looked at their, their, their account, their books. And he just said, you're losing money. This is how you're losing money. Boom, 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 boom. And the guy's like, you know, give him a job. Um, but he, while he was doing that for them, taking care of their bookkeeping and all of that, he was cleaning toilets. So here's yeah. a guy, man, who's got a medical degree. He's been accounting. Been, he's cleaning toilets, washing dishes, whatever he got to do. My mom was doing the same thing, man. She was cleaning houses, whatever. So, so anyways, uh, you know, immediately I was put in school. Um, my little sister as well. Uh, the Cuban community, uh, you know, brought us with open arms, you know, very close community, very uh, close knit community because most of them were all communism survivors. So we all kind of, you know, kind of knew each other from family members, et cetera, et cetera. They all had daughters. They all eight, all of them had daughters. So I had no clothes on my back. You know, my little sister, she, she, she got a bunch of good stuff but I was the only male in the community at the time. So um, I got a bunch of handy me, hand me down clothes. Now in Cuba, you know, Cuba, we don't see, you know, when I came, where I came from Cuba, we don't see material stuff like an American does, you know, like to us, jeans are jeans, tennis shoes, tennis shoes, t-shirts are t-shirts. It doesn't matter what they say. If they say something in English that, you know, is girly, we don't care. You know, it's a t-shirt, it's nice. It comes from America. That's all we care about. Um, so, but in America, it's a different story. You know what I mean? If you're not wearing certain brands and certain brands are for certain gender, then, you know, you know, you're, you're going to either be judged by that, you know? So, um, so my first day of school was very interesting. Um, I was wearing a, uh, girl jeans with hearts on and I did not know that. <laughs> well, I knew that, but I didn't know it was girl jeans and everybody, you know, I come to America, I have this you know, thing about me, it just, you know, I just love American people. I just, you know, things. so it was just like, wow, I'm in America. So like that movie, American Me, that was me, man. I was like, wow, I'm Brother, in America. That's, that's how know? I feel every time I come south. Every <laughs> time I come south, I am wowed. Yeah, yeah, it's like, are, like. Are you, you going to wear Jordan's jeans for men? Right. I'll, I'll wear whatever I can to get across that border. I don't care. I'm just yeah. happy to be there like he is. <laughs> So, yeah, man, so it was just like, wow, you know, it's just everything was wow, McDonald's, wow, you know, the store, you know, I mean, I mean, the grocery store was just like, wow. Yeah, but I, I want to hear more, cream. I want to hear more about your jeans. How did that work out for you? <laughs> well, well, I'm, I'm trying to get out of that story, man, but, you know. I you gave it out on that one. one. No. So, so anyway, so, so I see all these, all these kids, you know, smiling at me. I'm thinking they're just being nice, and I'm smiling back. And uh, this Cuban kid who was born here, uh, Cuban second generation, uh, he came to me. He says, "Bro, they're not, they're not laughing with you. They're laughing at you. And uh, those are girl jeans, bro. You got, you know. So uh, they think you're gay, bro. I mean, that's the thing. So, so I was, I was really upset, and I just left the school. And um, 
the school uh had to call my father they 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 thought something happened to me um and uh you know and I ended up telling my father my parents that uh, I was not going to go back to school unless I got some new new clothes new jeans but yeah that was that was a pretty interesting experience um you know and there was various various things like that to transitioning into the american way of life uh it took me a while a long time for me to actually uh you know, just, 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 just sponge everything, you know, um, you know, it, it took me, it took me a bit, uh, but, uh, but it was, it was great, man. I was, you know, it was, it was a roller coaster ride, you know? Well, you um, know, uh, before you continue, you know, you were talking about the Cuban community uh, uh, over there in, in, in Miami. Uh, that's one thing that I see a lot with the Cuban community though, that is completely different from, you know, uh, Puerto Ricans or, or Dominicans or, or any, anybody from any, well, Mexicans got a kind of like similar system, but Cubans, uh, they do have a big support system from when people arrive from Cuba and they have nothing. They have their, their community comes together yeah. and, and help each other out. And yeah. that is, that is amazing. And I, and I learned that when I was living in Puerto Rico, because Puerto Rico, there's a huge Cuban community over there. Right. And, uh, let me tell you, you can see like people show up. It's like, listen, uh, we got this one apartment that I own. You don't yep. have to pay rent for the next three months. Yep. By the way, so-and-so owns a restaurant. You can yep. start working there. Yep. By the way, like, like they will place you and yep. wait until you can take care of yourself. And then yep. you're on your own. And what they expect you to do is like, you got to repay that back later when somebody else comes and needs help right. and you right. can help them. You got to mm -hmm. join us and do the same. And yeah. that is an amazing, like, they don't just, Oh yeah. Another Cuban. No, they, they yeah. just take care of you. Yeah. 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 But, but a lot of that has gone away because this what happened. Like I said, you know, the, that's the old generation. The old generation was doing that. The new generation started coming in. They ah. realized real quick that there were benefits. They find out real quick when they came in, there was a benefit package waiting for them. And they didn't want none of that. They didn't want to work. They didn't want to say not. So it has not, you know, I know for the last 10, a decade or two decades, or that kind of has stopped. And, so and, and, and touching, on you're, touching on what you're saying is, is that transitional thing. Cause it takes about 20 years to influence the next generation. Cause you got to get to them while they're in grade three and, and that's when they start to transition and, and grow. And then by the time they're adults of 20, you've influenced it. Right. And we, we talked about that when I was, doing stuff in Bosnia back in the day. And right now, um, touching on what you're saying about this changing of the community, we're noticing that even just where I live in this small town, the community has changed in the last year so much because we're seeing more senior citizens take jobs at stores and grocery stores wearing masks and face shields because the young generation is realizing, hey, I can stay home and they, they get this thing called CERB from the government where they're making $1,000 a week to just sit home and play video games against me and lose, and they don't have to work. And now senior citizens are going, oh, well, I can't beat Nate at Call of Duty, so I'm going to go take these jobs and make money and socialize and, and do that because they come from that generation. So it's really sad to see that happen in the community, especially one that's um, displaced like the Cubans being to another area or like somebody surviving something so traumatic as, as communism, which I am not a fan of by any means and do not support. And I will officially say that right now. And I can see the flaws in communism is when you're displaced from that. And then you start to kind of fall back into those negative tendencies. Why'd you leave in the first place? 
Right. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm, I'm not like taking away from your story by no means, I hope, because I'm just echoing what you're saying now with that generational change. It's so hard to watch. And I hope that my kids, my spawn never end up like that because it's so disheartening. Yeah. Anyways, off my soapbox. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. so so you went through all that and then uh, how how did it come about that you decided you wanted to be a, a U.S. Marine? Um, you know, when I was leaving the Cuba, that was a good question, JB. Um, when my uncle left, you know, my grandfather took my uncle. Uh, he was only five years old. My uncle joined the Marine Corps at 17. And, um, and he sent pictures back to, to Cuba. Other cousins had joined the Marine Corps as well. So we already knew that, you know, our family had, some of us uh, had joined the Marine Corps. When I went to the American Embassy, we were leaving Cuba. We had to go do the paperwork. Um, there was an American Marine, United States Marine, in his dress blues with an M16 in front of the door. And it was very, I mean, I got, I got, I mean, I got shocked. I was, it made a big impression to me. And I looked at my father at the time and I said, Hey dad, you know, can I, can I be him? Can I be him when, when I get to America? And he looked at me and said, son, you can be whatever you want America. And that stuck to me, you know? So, um, when I got here, you know, I, I met my uncle, met my cousins and they just, you know, that's all the pictures, the Marine Corps pictures. So, all, I mean, I couldn't wait to join the Marine Corps, you know? So I, I signed up early age 16 um, graduated early high school uh, at the age of 16. I had a, I already signed the early waiver to go into the Marine Corps and um, had my parents sign it. They didn't care. They were like, okay, you know, here, you know, take them. Uh, 17 years old, um, recruited immediately once I got my high school diploma, recruiter came to pick me up and uh, end up in Paris Island. Uh, awesome experience you know great great experience um you know when i was there i couldn't speak english uh you probably jp you probably understand where i'm coming from um well. I, I can't still speak english so yeah, yes i, still, I, I still, understand you know, where, where you're coming from <laughs> we're, we're, we're having the yeah we, we're still assimilating to the english language right <laughs> you, know, you know so um so yeah and uh i was able to learn various levels of english in the military which is incredible, right? So, I mean, I, I learned Ebonics, you know, you know, for chisel my rizzle, for hizzle, bizzle, you know, like, I mean, I learned some, some Ebonics there and I also learned some, you know, redneck stuff, you know, yeah. and, you know <laughs> how you doing boy? They're, they're going in, doing their wrong way, doing their wrong, like that, right? So, I'm fixing I mean, to, I'm fixing yeah, to. You know, you damn Mexicans coming down here and, you know, making low riders, our cars are not supposed to be low riders. Damn, having sex with my cousins, she, you know, I got Jose Pablo over here drinking my beer. <laughs> Ain't no Corona. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I, you know, you got, you picked up all these different accents, man, and amazing stuff. But when I went to the Marine Corps, I could not speak English and I couldn't understand a lot of it. Um, so I knew that I was a, a weakness of myself. So I tried to stay sharp try to look good, try to try to make sure my cameras were, were sharp, stay up all night, making sure my, my boots were spit shine to like, you can actually see yourself in them. Uh, and, and the DIs and everybody looked, you know, saw that, you know, they saw that there was a, there was, there was a motivated guy there that wanted to graduate, uh, 
went to all, every every settings of uh, the Marine Corps boot camp and IXL and everyone, especially the uh, the uh, rifle range. Rifle range, a qual expert, and I had one of the highest scores at the time. Um, you know, one of those good stories I still remind today is my senior DI uh, came by and gave me omelet and his omelet. So only only DIs will get will get omelets made. Um, and I thought that was a test. I thought, you know, that was a test for myself. So I ended up, I ended up, uh, refusing to eat it, uh, which was not a good thing, not cool. in front of him, disrespecting the senior DI in front of all the recruits. Um, so I was, uh, I was, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, smoked outside, you know, yeah, until, until I, until it was my time to shoot. And, um, you know, I still shot, shot expert. I was meritorious, meritoriously awarded private first class in boot camp. Um, you know, mo, you know, I went in, it's an open contract, private, you know, whatever. So it, it was, it was amazing stuff, man. I'll never forget it. Uh, really good time. Uh, third, it's just so you know, if you guys, you know, anybody here in Marines, there's three, three companies at the time, this is back in 1993, three companies at the time had not changed during this period. But there were three companies. It was 1st Battalion, 2nd Battalion, 3rd Mighty Mike. 3rd Battalion was like get your ass beat type of battalion. You know what I'm saying? 1st Battalion was kind of like a drill instruct, uh, what do you call it? Uh, a lot of formations, a lot of uh, a lot of looking good and sharp and, you know, and walking the, you know, walking the talk, you know, where, where the 3rd the Mighty Mike, they had us all over there in the brick buildings. And now the brick buildings don't even exist. So if, if the DI beat that shit out of you, nobody will know, you know, and nobody cared. Um, so it was, it was the, the tough, but I think that that's what they sent all the, all the crazies at. Um, but, uh, but anyways, I graduated there. Um, nobody went to see me in my graduation. Um, my parents didn't have the money to see me. And, and I just packed my sea bag and ended up going to my next duty station, which is uh, Camp Lejeune M M MCT. I was open contract. I graduated there. They gave me, Communication school, 2531. When I went to Twenty Nine Palms, that's where Comp School is for Marines, uh, Twenty Nine Stumps, California. Uh, they realized real quick I couldn't speak English. Go figure. You know? yeah. Go figure. Right. Weird. Yeah. So you know, man, like you know, and um, and so therefore they had to change my MOS, and uh, they were gonna make me a cook. And I said to them, I said to the master sergeant, which is a Puerto Rican guy, you know, he's like, I'm like, I'm not going to be a cook. I didn't come to the Marine Corps to be a cook. And, um, and there was nothing wrong with being a cook. You know, cook is a damn good MOS. I later, I later realized that, you know, cook was a really good MOS as well. And, you know, and all, all the other MOSs as well. Everybody's needed, right? Uh, so there's nothing wrong with that. But me being gung ho and, you know, young and full of calm, I'm like, well, I want to be all three. And he's like, well, what kind of 03 you want to be? And I said, 0311, because that's the only 03 I knew. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I could have chosen any freaking 03 I wanted. And you uh, picked that one. And I picked the yeah, 0311, man. So they're like, okay, sign up. Boom. And then uh, they sent me to Camp Pendleton to go through Marine Corps boot camp. I mean, uh, University of the Infantry with uh, the Camp Lejeune, uh, the, the Hollywood Marines. So uh, I went to infantry school with Hollywood Marines, graduated, and they sent me back to 29 Stumps again uh, with 3rd Battalion, 7th Marines. And um, did three years there. 
Uh, loved it, man. Did, did some good stuff. Got hurt in Bridgeport, California, repelling. And, uh, but I just kept sucking it up, kept going, got promoted to corporal, got my, got a team, uh, in my, uh, you know, in the squad. And when I got the team, um, got some new boots, one guy from Chicago, uh, who is still throwing gang signs and drawing gang symbols and whatnot. Uh, he got really stupid and just, I couldn't believe, man. It was like twilight zone, man. He was just talking back about two sergeant or whatever. So they told me to handle it. You know, and the infantry, you know what that means, you know, is handle it. So I was in charge of him. It was my, you know, responsibility. So I went to handle him, and I handled him too hard. And I went to the uh, the uh, army to clean my rifle. And my gunny, I got a call from a gunny. Uh, and he just literally, you know, ripped my asshole and, and told me that, uh, that he, you know, that he was uh, he was being pushed to AJ, to give me an AJP. Um, and he didn't want to because he, he didn't like great. He didn't like great, you know, so he didn't want to lose a good Marine for a piece of shit Marine. Yeah. But, but anyway, so, so, so at that point, uh, Gunny said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to send you to the mail room. I saw that uh, that's a, as a punishment, you know, and I did not see, cause you're young, you know, I'm 20 years old. You know, I, I got, a, I just got promoted to corporal, man. I got my team, man. Everything I wanted was happening to me right now. And, um, and, and that's all I wanted to do. Um, and now I'm in the mailroom and they put, they gave me, you know, I was a st- staff NCO. So like I'm, I'm literally being promoted to a staff position yeah. in the mailroom. And they gave me a, an assistant in private to do everything. Um, so I literally will go to work like two hours a day and, go to gym, whatever. I even, I even, I even ended up having, I ended up even getting a part-time job. So here's, I'm a military active and I got a part-time job as a bouncer at the E-club. Uh, so, I mean, I, I just couldn't figure out what to do with myself, you know what I mean, at the time, but, um, but I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. I hated it, you know? And, um, and when it was time for me to re-enlistment, um, you know, the, the captain's like, hey, the headquarters. He, here I'm, I'm in the headquarters, you know, of the battalion. And the guy's like, hey, we're, we're going to give you a bonus. Uh, we're going to promote you to sergeant, you know, but you're going to have to stay in the, in, the, in the mail room. And I said, nope. And I, I just, you know, I did my four years and, and audible discharge, got my good cooking, got the hell out. And, you know, until this day, I will look back as one of the biggest mistakes I ever did. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and it was a fast promoting MOS. So like, if you went to the post office at the time, there was not one single sergeant in the post office. Every single person was a gunny, versari, master sergeant, and they're all young. They were like 23, 24 years old. Every one of them was just, you know, high ranking everybody. Um, you know, so I, you know, it is what it is, man. You know, you're young and full of calm. You don't have a lot of good advice, a lot of good mentors in your life. You know, yeah. not, not, listen, people are not telling you, and that's, that's one thing I always lacked in my life. I had to figure out into the school of hard knocks. Um, I never had mentors, you know, for the most part. You know, my father, once we came to America and my mom, they all got, my mom and my father got really focused on working, you know, working a lot. And, and, and I never, I, I really never got to see them a lot. Uh, they could not understand what I was going through in school. They, were, they could not understand what I was going through in, 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 you know, in my, in my world and in my little sister's world. So we, we kind of, we kind of just kind of like 
create our, our own experience. I don't know how 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 I can explain it to you. So um, so we didn't have, you know, we didn't have mentors. We didn't have people telling us, hey, you you know, in high school, you you could have tried for wrestling. You could have tried for baseball. You could have done this. You could have done that. You know, I was just going to school, get 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 the grades. You know, so so I, I missed a lot of opportunities because of that. You know, but um, but uh, you know, again, in the Marine Corps, you know, uh, that was it. Four years, boom, got out. And uh, when I when I got out, 1997, um, I went to work for a local. Uh, immediately, I went to work for a local club, uh, Gator Club, which they made a movie from. Uh, as a uh, bar back and as a as a bouncer as well, and then right after that, um, I ended up getting this great opportunity. Walked into this recruiting firm, and they saw talent in me. Saw someone that could relate to people, talk to people, especially the Hispanic community uh, know me very well, and they gave me an opportunity as a recruiter. That recruiting position turned into a senior ex- executive recruiter. And uh, I was making the company about $3 million a year or more. And we very successful. I was young, 24 years old, had my own, you know, beautiful house, pool, three-bedroom, you know, fireplace, the whole nine yards. Had everything I wanted again. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, I started having, you know, transition problems. Well, you guys call it transition problems. I think every uh, veterans have a lot of that, right? So we, we come out, we do, we're doing really well, or some of us do really well at the time. And then all of a sudden it just hit us, boom. You know what I mean? It's just like, uh, like a ton of brick. Um, you got this, the face, you got this mask wearing, you're wearing this mask this whole time. And all of a sudden it just hits you like, what the hell is going on? Um, yeah, that, that's um, a lot of people think just because they first get out and they're doing great, that they're not having any problems. Right. No, no, you're just not admitting that you're having some problems or right. that they might, they might even show up later. And like you're saying, you were wearing a different mask and uh, you realize that's not you, you know? Right. Uh, so, so yeah, continue. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I'll be honest with you guys. You guys are giants to me. You guys are heroes to me. I didn't see no combat. No, not, not at all in my four years. I went to Qatar, Saudi Arabia. I smelled some burn pits there. That's about it. About a few months there. It was just training. Uh, and most of the time I was in Okinawa, Japan, you know what I mean? So, you know, uh, I had a good time. The other time I was just having a good time, you know, just getting laid and drinking and working out and having a good time. Um, so no, nowhere and anywhere had the experience you guys have had. So, so when, when later, after later, when I talk about stuff like this, you know, um, you gotta have that guilt. Like why, why, you know, why am I had that? Why did I have that transition problem? I didn't go through all that shit. I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't, I, I didn't have any combat experience like that. But when I got out, I couldn't relate to civilian. You know, it got to that point where I just, I just got sick of it. Sick of dealing with civilians, sick of having to talk to them. I didn't want to talk to them anymore. I didn't want to deal with them. I didn't want to see them. And I just became a real asshole. And that's asshole Mike so every much. day. Yeah, and I saw so much that, you know, I started to hurt people around me and started hurting, you know, people I love and my mom and, you know, and different people and it started to push people back because I didn't want to deal with the BS. And, and, uh, and I started, you know, deteriorating, hurting myself with the equally, you know, at the same time, uh, hurting my relationships. And uh, my, uh, you know, girlfriend at the time broke up with me. You know, so now I'm losing everything. I'm losing everything. I walked out of right, that 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 hundred six figure dollar job that I had. You know, 
uh, you know, in the early 2000s, whatever, I walked right out of that job. Like I didn't care that I was getting paid that much money. I didn't care. It don't matter. I just walked right out. And, um, and what you call it. And, uh, and, and everything just came crashing, man. Lost everything, lost, lost relationship, you know, and uh, I was heartbroken. Uh, and it, it was that day, you know, one time, man, I just tested my little sister and just letting her know that that was it. And I have been, I have already shown signs, talked to her about what I was going through. And I already kind of told her that I was, I was in these thoughts. Um, but that day, that actually, that, I, that one day that I went just completely dark is basically you know, I, I told her, I said, this is it. I'm, I'm doing it, you know? And uh, she just, she just, I mean, she's cussing me out on the text messages and everything. Um, and I went and, you know, the, the VA, just when I got out, the VA had um, seen my medical records. They saw that I got hurt in, uh, in Bridgeport, California. So immediately they, they sent me through MRIs, x-ray, whatnot. They saw that I had a back problem uh different different issues in my back and they immediately gave me 50 percent. i didn't have to fight you know like some i know some veterans fight for it and have to go through it um i didn't have to do that you know they just they just say you know you're you have this this and this and this you got this option we can send you to surgery or we can give you this and i was like all right i'll just take you know so they give me the 50 percent and uh and a bunch of drugs with it bunch of drugs like just a bunch i mean i I still got, I mean, I still get a bunch of drugs. So all kinds of different medications, you know, laurel tabs. I mean, you name it, man. You know what I mean? Uh, and, oh, this this will, you know, make your dick limp. Uh, this this will, you know what I'm saying, make you lose your hair. You know, so this right here will make you nightmares. This right here will make you psychotic. This right here will do this. This right here will, you know, make hair on, on, on your nails. I mean, you know what I mean? Like all these different side effects and shit, you know? Um, but you got to take it. You know what I mean? You got to take it because we're going to give you a urine test and you got to make sure we're going to make sure you're taking it. Uh, so I was, I was on medication. I was a lot of, a lot of stuff that I was taking at the time. Anyways, when I went dark, I took one of those bottles that was supposed to be give, uh, put, to put me asleep. Uh, I was only supposed to take one. I took the whole bottle. So, um, so I woke up in the hospital, you know, uh, tubes inside of me. You know, that popped my shit out. And uh, and like two weeks later, you know, I was Baker active. You know, I was Baker active for about two weeks and then they, they throw me out. But, um, you know, I had a German Shepherd. My German Shepherd was, was barking the whole time. You know, my, my neighbors told me that the German Shepherd was barking and that um, and my little sister had called the cops. So, um, you know, so when I got out, uh, you know, my, my little, as a matter of fact, for me to get out for the two weeks, I had to call my little sister and she had to get permission for me to get out without her calling. So, I mean, I was on the phone begging her, please go. She said, you're not going to do that again. I was like, no, I'm going to do that again. Please don't call. Get me out of here. You know what I mean? So it, it was, you know, but, uh, but when I got out, man, she gave me earful and you know, she gave me earful, man. She told me, um, you know, she told me that, uh, you know, all the things we have gone through in our lives, you know, that this is it. This is what you're going to do to us. You're going to leave, you know, you're going to leave our family behind. You're going to hurt us this way. This is how you think of, of us. And, and uh, you know, how selfish can you be? Uh, you know, she gave me a big earful, you know, and she says, you know, I love you. I respect you so much. You know, everything I do in my life, I always think about you. Um, 
So every time I talk about this, man, I hurt, I get hurt, you know, because, because I love, you know, I love my little sister a lot and uh, I miss her a lot, man. She's no longer with us. So um, I lost her, lost her a few, a uh, few years back. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I'll never forget that, man. And, uh, and she, uh, she was right. She was a hundred percent right, man. You know, I, I was taking the easy way out. I was, I was being, you know, and I know, I was being selfish. I was being, uh, you know, a cow. I wouldn't say coward, but at the same time, I would say that, um, you know, I, I was, I was not thinking, you know, really wasn't thinking, you know, it was probably one of the dumbest, dumbest thing, dumbest thing that I've ever done. And I was happy too that I got a second chance. Not too many people get a second chance. No, you know, and so, I, yeah, so that- I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, that, that was one of my questions I wanted to ask you. You know, after you did what you did, uh, then you realize how bad you hurt your sister, right? It, did that hit you hard and you go like, man, I will never do that again. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's exactly, even though when we, we, me and my sister were five years apart, um, we were kind of like twins, you know, in, in that sense of the word, you know, we, we told each other everything, you know, everything we were going through, you know, uh, I called her every time when I was in the military, I'll, I'll let her know. Um, you know, so, you know, she, you now like, I feel like, you know, she's not here with me and I feel like I'm missing something, you know, I'm always missing that, that her. Um, but yeah, she, um, she, she gave me, she gave me some tough love. That's what I call tough love. She gave me some tough love and, and told me, you know, a lot of things that I needed to hear, you know what I mean? And not everybody's different. You know, everybody's different. Everybody needs to hear things differently depending on their character. But me personally, I always relate to tough love. I always relate more to that tough love. So if you give me, if, if I know you're a true friend and somebody cares about me and you're seeing me screwing up, you know, you, I don't want you to hold my hand. You know what I'm saying? I want you to give me some, some, you know, slaps up upside the head and tell me, hey, what the how are you doing, man? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, what the hell are you doing? Um, that's how I, I, I relate more to that. Everybody's different, right? Everybody's, you know, so. But Yeah, uh, I think that the last time we were talking uh, uh, about this, uh, I think I was telling you guys a story about a body of mine. Because like you said, everybody's different. So you need to know uh, who you're talking to on how you're going to deal with that specific person, right? So uh, a buddy of mine uh, was sitting in a car in, in a parking lot and he was ready to commit suicide, right? He got his gun, he's ready to commit suicide. And uh, right when he's going to pull the trigger, basically a, a phone call comes in. He sent a, another friend of his uh, that calls and he basically literally answered the phone and he said, what's up, buddy? He goes, hey man, what you doing? He's like, I'm about to blow my brains out. So of course his, bra- his friend started laughing because he thought he was joking. And, uh, and uh, so he goes, I'm about to blow my brains out. And he's like, are you fucking serious? Like, yeah, bro. So hurry up because it's the last time you're going to hear about me. So, of course, his body gave him some tough love, but it was different. It was like, we're military guys. We got different sense of humor and different, thing, di- different ways that, that we deal with stuff. And his body basically told him, it's like, oh, fuck, no, you're not doing that inside the car. That's our super nice car. And uh, when you're gone, I want your car. So yeah. please, I don't want to have to clean up. It's like, so... Uh, if you're going to do that, step outside of your car and then do it. But do, do, do not do it inside the car because I don't want to have to clean that up because I want that car. And he said he started laughing so hard that he put the gun down. He's like, 
you're an asshole. And he goes like, I know. He's like, now come and meet me. Let's have some drinks. And that's what he did. He totally forgot what he was there for. <laughs> yeah, it's, am it's amazing what you could do, you know. Um, yeah, and, you know, it's, it's, it's good to, to, to do that, to be able to do that. You know I mean? To be able to, you know, to talk to one another and, um, and have that kind of uh, uh, connection with each other. You know, to, 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 to know each other that way, to be able to say things that, that we can connect with, you know what I'm saying? Especially humor, you know, that's and humor that's, that's so direct and cuts right to our soul. Right. That's the trick. Veterans, veterans have like this connection with dark humor for some yeah. reason, you know, we, we relate to it. You know what I mean? Is that how we fight our demons or whatnot? Civilians cannot understand that for some, you know, no matter how you try to, you know, explain that to them. They cannot understand our humor whatsoever. No, no, they don't. And no. and um, and you know what? You you mentioned something that is really important to cover. And uh, and I was talking to Mike actually the other day about. Actually, we were talking about it the other day. And it's the medication. It's like you know the VA piles so much medication, and and they're like, you got to take this, you got to take that, you got to take that, and they don't even realize that they're hurting you. And Mike made a good point when he said, you know, you got different specialists that don't talk to each other and they're giving you all this medication that actually got adverse reaction with, with one another. And then next thing you know, you're here like a zombie and nobody gives a shit. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, big pharma is a big problem in the, in the VA system. And, and it's one of the reasons why we lose a lot of guys. Uh, it's been a big problem. And here's, you know, you have to question we never, we never get to the bottom of it because we don't, we don't give the tough questions. Tough questions is why is Big Pharma lobbies the VA? Why, how much control does the VA, does the Big Pharma has on the VA, right? Just like in our military. So they used us as guinea pigs in our military, pumping us with shit that we didn't even know. Absolutely. And now when we get out, they pump us up with some more shit, you know, we don't even know. Sometimes, oh, try this. How about try this? Didn't that, that did not work. How about this? Try this. This is new yeah. stuff. This just came out. You know what I mean? I heard some really good things about it, but you should try it. You know what I'm saying? Now you might have some side effects, you know, like this and that and that and that, but don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. Let me know if it doesn't work out. You yeah, know how my, many, I, you know, my, go my ahead, favorite, Mike. My favorite was when they gave me something and it was like 50 milligrams of X medication. I'm not going to say what it is. Took it for a little bit. It was What's, blue. Yeah, no. Uh, anyways, uh, I was like, it's not working for me. I don't, I'm a zombie every day, every day. So I go back and I say, Hey, I don't, this isn't working. It's like, well, let, let's bump this up to hundred milligrams. See if it helps. I'm like, you're not fucking listening to me. It's not working. It's not what I want. So right. what's adding, what's adding more to it's going to make me worse. Right. Uh, I can't stand that shit. Right. Right. You know, so it, it, it's uh it's a big problem, big problem in our military. You know, we, we don't, we don't, in the VA doesn't, here's the thing too going back to what we we're talking about before you got to look how the va works right the va has has a cap you know they, they're funded they got money right so they, they got to manage that budget whatever that budget is they got two hundred thousand employees two hundred thousand employees right so they got a cap on that money that they got to be able to spend and that cap is 30%. When you go to the VA, all the doctors and everybody, they're not out to help you. They're out to figure out if you're that 1% of veterans trying to screw the system. That's all they're trying to find out. 
The whole VA system is to figure out if you are trying to rape the system. That's it. That's exactly it. It's the same That's here it, in Canada. Man. It's the it's same fucking thing here in Canada. If you same get thing. lucky, if you get lucky, if you get lucky and you get through that 30% every year, that through that 30% cap, all right, you get your compensation or whatever, you get help, you get whatever you may get. Boom, you hit the lottery. Boom, all right? If you did not get it, this is what happens. That's what they tell you when you're doing your compensation claims. You keep trying. You know, you keep trying, not because your shit is not good. It's because you keep trying to get through that 30%. Hopefully, next year, you get through it. Boom, woo, you know? You know, you made the lottery, right? So so this is, this is where we go back. We had that conversation is that we veterans, as a community, man, I'm telling you, man, we fail each other every single day because if we actually knew how many of ours have died through the system, we will be taking out the system right now. Everybody of us will be in full gear, ready to rock and roll, man, because I'm telling you right now, I mean, I, I give you these figures, and I told you that last time, 2 million died from Agent Orange. We're not talking about Gulf War. We're not going to talk about Camp Lejeune. We're not going to talk about the drink. We're not talking about uranium, Clorox, and all these other shit. I'm going to give you a new one right now, burn pits. So now burn pits is coming out. Burn pits is on the table. It's been on the table for, for about five years. We got people now, now showing signs of blisters on their skin, lung, uh, you know, te tearing up lung, cancer, all kinds of problems. But you want, guess what? We're not, nobody's getting compensated yet. No, no, no. You need to go to a website and put your information there. There's people dying, literally freaking dying in hospitals. They're not getting any compensation at all because the government has not yet, you know, signed off and said, you know, that, uh, that you deserve it. You, you've been exposed to it. They know you've been exposed to it, but they have to have the last say on, do you deserve it? I'm going to give you another one. The guys, um, the, the one recent one, Look how long it took them. Vietnam veterans, right, that were in the Navy ships that were exposed to Agent Orange, okay, in the Navy ships that the, 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 when the Navy ships where, where the planes took off with the chemical, all right, these guys just got signed off on the compensation last year. Last year, bro. How many years they waited? How many had to die before finally getting compensated for, for, for something that, you know, should have been done in, in written law. So this is, you know, so, so I mean, I, I, I'm sorry if I get so excited. No, about absolutely. This. You know, I'm sorry I get all this. Let me finish one last thing. I'll let you. I get so, like this, bro, Uncle Sam has got to chill. If one thing, you, I, I'm going to tell you here and to everybody who's listening to this show, Uncle Sam has got a children was the one responsible to expose the VA scandal in Arizona. It was us. We did that. Not Fox News, not Braveheart, not nobody. And how would I did it? I'm going to explain to you. One guy came, one of the sons of one of the Vietnam veterans reached out to us and told us what had happened to his father. I mean, in detail, from step to step, pictures of him dying as he died, as he literally died. And we wrote the article and we exposed it and Fox News picked it up and interviewed that son and put him in that interview. I wish I could find the video again. That interview that he did with his son, he's wearing an Uncle Sam has got a children t-shirt that says, when guns are outlaw, I'll be an outlaw. He says, bro, I'm wearing your t-shirt right now, man. And that's how we were able to expose the VA scanner in Arizona. So if one thing I could, I could die tomorrow, literally die tomorrow, bro. 
Like, I'll be fine. I'll be literally just fine as hell. Because you know what? We've done some amazing thing to do something that other people have never done. We got to do this again, Tank, because I want to expand on what we're talking again. So maybe a few episodes from now, we can come back together and do at least a mini episode uh, to where we can cover what we're talking about right now. Because I think there's so much more we can talk about this and uh, other stories uh, that we can share and help other people. Uh, but, uh, hey, before we leave, Tank, tell us about uh, Uncle Sounds uh, Nation. Nation podcast and uh, your apparel company, the way everybody knows what, what you're all about and they can find you. All right, guys, go to UncleSamusGotToChildren.com, sign up to our newsletter, and, uh, and just buy some swag, man. Support the brand now more than ever because, you know, we just lost our big page. We're always being censored. We have lost seven pages since 2000. Uh, nine. I am actually lawyer up right now, and uh, I actually have a claim. We're having a, a claim uh, being built against Facebook uh, for you know we're basically um, p p uh, you know they're 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 biased every single time there's an election. They push their bias and they censor me every single time. Uh, I'm a real minority, so I'm gonna play that minority card because I'm a Taino. Just like JP, born the island, uh, percent, yep, and one uh, percent, you know, marine veteran, immigrant. Uh, so you can't get more minority than I am. I don't care who you know, whatever. Well, it depends but, if you're wearing those girls' jeans, right? I, <laughs> hey, that makes me more of a minority, right? Okay? Yeah, That's that makes right. me more of a minority. LGBTQ, LGBTQ, all right? right, LGBTQ. It's ma'am. It's yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> all right. Don't get confused. I need, the, I need to speak to the manager. <laughs> hey, well, what's the Instagram? Tank, what's the Instagram now? Instagram is Uncle Sam's Nation. All Instagram, right. Uncle Sam's Nation. That's my person right now. They're they're attacking it right now, man. They're reporting the posts. So 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 if you listen to this podcast, get on there, support Tank, get on Uncle Sam's Nation on Instagram, follow him. So <laughs> I guess undoubtedly when it gets freaking pulled off again, he starts a new page. You guys pick up and support him. Thank you, bro. Thank you. That's right. And, and if, uh, whenever your new page comes up, if, if they, if they unblock or whatever, let us know. And then we'll, we'll, we'll make sure we announce that we don't have as many uh, followers as you, but if you can gain one or two from our posts, that that's one or two that, that goes that way, man. Uh, uh, before we leave, I want to make sure that we send a good shout out to uh, some of the foundations. Dear that we friends support. and family. What? This is the time where JP sends out some deep, deep loving to his friends and family that are not with him right now, but we're thinking of you deeply, dearly, and with the deep cockles of our hearts. Take away, <laughs> JP. No, we want to send a shout out to the Special Force Foundation and the Green Bear Foundation. They do great stuff for uh, Green Berets and their families. So please check him out and support him if you can. Uh, Warriors on the Fly, uh, Destiny Rescue, uh, their human trafficking recovery uh, 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 nonprofit and Special Forces Shield Maidens. Uh, we want to uh, thank all those for all the great work that they do. And uh, thank if you want to send any shout outs to anybody uh, or any organization or anybody in specific, this is your time, brother. All right. I want to give a shout out to all you badass motherfuckers out there who served our country proudly. Lift up your heads, man. All right. We got a beautiful country, and we got to stay united, all right? That's right. Do die. God bless America. God bless America. And uh, if, uh, if you guys are out there, you're veterans, I just remember one thing, support each other, 
Uh, I know there's a lot of business out there, a lot of competition, this and that. Don't compete against each other, support each other and build each other. Uh, that way, uh, you know, we need to stay together. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate you guys uh, listening to the show. We hope that, you know, your uh, uh, Tank's stories and his struggles and what we uh, all discuss here uh, can help you at some point. Uh, and if it doesn't help you, please share it with others. Maybe it can help other people. Uh, you know, the struggles are real. Mike have talked about it uh, before in the show about his struggles. Um, uh, Nate have talked about it. I have struggled myself. So we, we feel you. Uh, just understand that if you're out there, man, you're not alone. You got other people you can reach out. Man, I, I guarantee you reach out to Mike. You reach out to Nate. You reach out to Tank. Uh, they're going to respond. All right. So please let us know. And if you got any stories that you want to share and you, you can change names or, or take out the names or whatever, please, please send them to vtsr at protonmail.com and, um, and we can read your story uh, in, in, in our show. And, and if something that somebody can take away from that, that would be great. And we really appreciate uh, you, you sharing your stories with us. So uh, without that, hey, Mike, you got anything else you want to share with everyone? No, no, um, I'm just, Tank's got me thinking now, so I mean, my brain's just, just <laughs> turning right now, so yeah, not at the moment. All right. Uh, give, Nate, give, it to, give it to Nate so he can t spend the next 20 minutes talking. Nate, anything else you want to share? That uh, Actually, I'm going to be short and, and uh, brief on this because this closet here in Mike's uh, hotel room is starting to stink up and uh, I'm getting close. My dirty clothes is in there. Yeah, exactly. So, um the biggest thing is reach out to each other. And like Tank said, if we actually organized, the government would be fearful because we would be an unstoppable force. We would be like an army onto ourselves. That is, that is totally true. It, it blew your mind, didn't it? <laughs> it was so short. I was like, are you done? Well, yeah, I, I that's what she said. Normally, you normally, you normally got like long stories, and I was like, "Is he done?" You know, what, that's, what's that's, up? Why, that's why there was that long pause, was like waiting for the next. It's getting story. better. It's getting better. Anyway, hey, Tank, thank you so much for being in the show. I know we had technical difficulties when we tried to record this uh, prior to that, and uh, you just came back from doing BJJ and all that good stuff, and and made time for us. So I really appreciate it. Thank you for being with us. We love you. You know that. We love you, man. Uh, anytime. Love you, you too, guys, us, man. Love you too, man. Yeah, reach out to us. And if you're out there uh, and you're struggling, whatever you do, you just remember, uh, reach out to someone. Uh, don't, don't go on patrol by yourself. Always take a body with you. And do not, I say again, do not cash out. Take it away, Nate. Thanks, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and veterans of all calibers and MOSs, even if you're a 311. We thank you for your service and don't cash out. Please pay attention to the following message from JP on the way out and pick up your sea bag. Thank you to our main sponsors, Nost Appliance Group LLC, Uptown Auto Glass, and ATAX Camera.
sacrifices. This song is for you. 